Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. This podcast is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough in your team's sales? Have you tried sales training in the past, but were unable to make it stick? The Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program is a year-long partnership that combines sales and leadership training, a digital sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. So our theme for the month of July is adapting to shifting markets. Here on the podcast, we're talking to our guests about it, and you can check out the blog for best practices, information, and advice for you and your team at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and today's guest is a speaker, an author, facilitator, business strategist, and um, I think one of my favorite facts about her that I saw in her bio on the website, she is an aunt like me. Um, That might sound minor, but to me, family is incredibly important, and I just spent the um, 4th of July holiday with uh, eight of my nieces and nephews, and so that really, um, really resonated strongly with me. She is also Vistage UK's International Speaker of the Year, which is of no surprise since she has participated in over 100 speaking engagements per year, helping executives lead, innovate, and collaborate more effectively. As the former executive of a billion-dollar global consumer products company, she now runs her own business out of lovely San Diego, and her business is called NEK International. She just published a new bestseller called The Power of Profitable Conversations. So long intro, but definitely um, worth it for Amy Kay. So welcome, and thank you so much for joining me today, Amy Kay. Well, thank you for inviting me to be a guest. It's a privilege to be here. All right. Well, I just shared many of the highlights in your bio, but I know a bio is never a full representation of a person. So can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Maybe talk a little bit about where your passion for business began or some key stops along your journey. Oh, I can do both. I think I think my passion for business got sparked in my very first corporate job, which was sales. And so I had a real sales job before that, Elizabeth. I was an elementary school teacher. I was selling 10-year-olds every single day on you know, intellectual curiosity and getting excitement. So they, they were awesome for ground training. But I think that when I was in corporate America and I saw my background, my education in cognitive science work in sales... That's sort of when I lit up. That's when I realized, oh my goodness, this could be extraordinarily rewarding. So when I was hired to grow sales, it was this really kind of counterintuitive, we're going to hire somebody that's never done sales before, but believes that she can change the behavior cognitively of our buyers. And sure enough, it worked. And so then that was a major inflection point for me to realize, I love this. I reach more people. I have a bigger impact. And I get that intrinsic reward of seeing everybody win. And so that's when I started my own company as I left corporate America in 2000 and started my own company. And it was off to the races since then. And so that was a really big inflection point, taking that brave step and becoming an entrepreneur and then morphing it over the years. So that was you know a long time ago. So I became the sales trainer and then the sales speaker and then the leadership trainer. And then I worked internally with a couple of my clients and operational roles and then brought that wisdom back. And so, you know, here we are 19 years later as this leadership, sales, innovation, communication, um, speaker, trainer, author, and who would have thunk it 
that 25 years ago, if somebody had said, you're just an elementary school teacher, and it's like, and what are you going to do? I'm, like, I'm going to go teach the world. Oh, that is wonderful. I have to say, um, as somebody who spends a reasonable amount of time with elementary school children, I 100% agree that if you can deal with an entire classroom's worth, you should probably be able to transition into sales. Um, you are selling them on even basic ideas. And oh, it's almost yeah. Yeah. anniversary for your business. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. And, and talk about team dynamics and keeping people doing on, you know, what they're supposed to do and accountability. It was really kind of this strange, very parallel MBA to being an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, I, I think sometimes the analogy is a little overused, but it is honestly true that there's a lot about leadership and management that's similar to parenting or similar to the role of a school teacher um, oh, because you are yeah. guiding people and you're mentoring them and you're growing them. And that's the same thing that a good teacher is trying to do. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you, you bring up the fact that, you know, in sales as well, you are also playing all those roles, you know, in sales, you are the, the parent when you need to draw boundaries or talk about expectations, you know, you're the therapist when you need, you need to calm somebody down, you know, and make it go through You're you're that manager of making sure all the decision makers are aligned. So very similar in sales. Definitely. All right. Well, I don't want to um, miss out on what you have been writing and talking about lately. And so you are all about the power of profitable conversations. I definitely recommend that all of our listeners check out your website. And if they do, they will see that. Um, but can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by the power of profitable conversations? I really honed over the years to this principle and it sounds a little cheesy until you realize I'm very sincere and I prove it and I talk about it every single day in my work. And that is that life is happening one conversation at a time. And the, the life that we live is a direct reflection of the quality of these conversations. And when we learn how to navigate the tough conversations and make them more profitable, we get more of what we want. And so I'll often talk to people in sales that, you know, what, what you desire is on the other side of a tough conversation. And so I spend all of my time, whether it's leadership or sales or communication or innovation, talking about how we prepare for the critical conversations that literally get us what we want. And so when I, when I talk about profitability, yes, I, we can talk about dollars and closed deals, but I often talk about profitability can be time, energy, connection, breakthroughs, problems solved, relationships healed, boundaries established. I mean, there's a lot of ways to define profitability. I just know that I've seen and proven over the years in sales that when we show up and treat the sales sequence of event or our sales cycle as one conversation and we prepare for that conversation, we actually skyrocket our sales. Absolutely. I love that. And I love that you have broadened the definition of profitable. A lot of times we see that word and we just think dollars and cents. But as you said, um, quality of life, to me, Absolutely. whatever to the quality of my life is profitable and is something that is important to me. Well, and some of that too in sales, if you think about the idea that so many salespeople end up being burned out um, or they feel beaten down because they hear so many no's. And so sometimes the profitable conversation can be in your own mindset. I mean, one of the things that I used to teach in our sales clinics when I was in corporate America was the idea that no means nothing. 
So I'll do this really powerful exercise and I'll say like, you know, Elizabeth, somebody tells you no, what does it mean? And she'll be like, oh, you know, that I lost the deal or I'm not going to make quota or not now, it's stalled. I'm like, no, it means nothing. It just means nothing. So you, so you can get prepared for the next conversation because if you let that go, and so that's even a mindset conversation in a state to reduce your stress, reduce burnout. But, you know, it's the idea of if somebody tells you no, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a no. I love that. We have a very similar conversation that we have in sales trainings, uh, kind of the same thing where we say, what does it mean when you lose a deal? And so many people think, you know, losing a deal says something about them as a person or even says something about their relationship with that individual prospect. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the case. And what you can focus on is how do I maintain the relationship? How do I maintain, in your words, the conversation so that we can lose an individual deal but not lose the relationship, not stop the conversation and get business moving forward. Because it might just be that this individual opportunity wasn't a fit at the current time, but that doesn't mean that you have to stop talking to them forever. Absolutely. So true. And I think that one of the things too, that I, I'll joke about a little bit is that it is the idea of sometimes, you know, when we lose that deal, we'll make up stories in our head or the client will go dark. And we'll say something along the lines of like, oh my gosh, they didn't like me or, you know, they didn't like our product or our service. And it's like, no, you're making stuff up in your head. And so that's not a profitable conversation either. Definitely. I think a lot of times we're having unprofitable conversations with ourselves and it's so easy to listen to that negative self-talk and really put yourself down whether it's imposter syndrome or whether it's just kind of beating up on yourself for something you just did or something you think that people are noticing about you. It's so incredibly important to have um, the right focus on what conversations you should be focused on and the conversations you should be encouraging as opposed to be the ones that you should be discouraging. And it's not as if, I think one of the things that's really important to remind your listeners is that it's not something that like you learn and then you own it. It's something that it's a continuing practice and habit. So, you know, even if somebody goes dark to this day, and I've been doing this for 28 years, the first thing that I think of, because it's our normal DNA wiring is, oh, what did I do? It's like, it's like, oh, it's like, what did, what did we not do? Or, and so you have to even stop that because it's a habit of just constantly checking in and saying with yourself, this probably has nothing to do with me. And here's the action that I'm going to take knowing that it probably has nothing to do with me versus feeling all desperate. Because the minute that you get all desperate and weird inside your own head, then your actions get all desperate and weird. And then you really do repel the client. <laughs> Definitely. I love that desperate and weird. Because um, if you think about it, when we are having that internal conversation and we're so focused on it, just picture without um, you know contributing to the negativity of your internal conversation, just picture how you're looking to other people. If you're sitting there beating up on yourself or questioning yourself, or, you know, what are you actually portraying out to the world? It's not the wonderful, positive, effective person that you are. It's going to be the negative self-talk that's happening right then. And so it's so incredibly important to focus on the profitable conversation that we can be having with other people as opposed to necessarily that internal one. Yeah. I just, I just love switching the focus. Definitely. All right. As I mentioned in the intro, in July, we are focused on adapting to shifting markets. How can profitable conversations help individuals and teams do that more effectively? I think that we're missing a lot of the important conversations internally in the sales team space. And what I mean by that is we'll often talk about things that are shifting, but we act like it's external. And so one of the conversations that I think sales teams should have is, 
what's shifting that we all have personally experienced? And then out of all of these shifts, here's the question that I love most, what's relevant to us? So for instance, if we were on the same sales team, we would get together and we would talk about any trends that we'd experienced firsthand in like the last 12 months. So they could be economic shifts, technological, legislative, compliance, political, cultural, um, I don't know, talent and personnel, um, customer experience. But we would all go around and we would share our personal experiences so that we as a team could then capitalize on these shifts. So what we do is we share all the things that we're experiencing. So a great example would be most deliveries that I get now are less than 48 hours. You know, that's a shift that we're all experiencing in customer experience, customer service. Now, for those of us that are building custom cabinetry, or for those of us that are building medical devices that take 8, 10, 12 weeks to produce, we think, oh, that has nothing to do with us. And so we skip that opportunity. But if you're actually doing this conversation, this profitable conversation, you realize that's extraordinarily relevant. So you get everybody to share all their personal experiences and all these layers And then you look for themes and patterns. And then out of those themes and patterns, you say, what's relevant to us? And then somebody says, and I'm just making stuff up, but somebody might say, well, maybe that 48-hour delivery time is relevant to us. I mean, it's not that we're going to deliver custom cabinetry in 48 hours, but maybe consumer expectations are shifting and we are going to have to increase our cycle times or reduce our go-to-market time. And that's when you start to have this incredible conversation of, If we're going to capture how the world is shifting, we need to figure out what it is that we're experiencing. And then not everything's important to us, but what is relevant to us. I absolutely love that. First of all, I have to say you picked the perfect example because we just moved into new office space recently and we are currently on rather nice looking, but they're still folding tables. And it's, it was actually not surprising to me, but still a little disappointing to hear the six to 10 week delivery time for our new furniture. And I know that that is the current market when it comes to furniture, but I still am very spoiled by Amazon and by all of the other retailers who are getting stuff to me more quickly. And you wonder, um, when there's going to be a disruptor, even in a space like commercial furniture, that's going to say, no, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to speed that time. And that's going to cause significant disruption to everybody else in the market. Who's been thinking it's not relevant to them. And it's just, and as you pointed out, it's just a matter of time. I mean, it really is. Now it may not, it may not be four weeks, but it could be one of those things where we get to the expectation that it is six weeks. It really is no longer because I remember when I was doing my offices years ago in Atlanta, it was a 16 week wait time. And that was standard. I mean, could you imagine waiting an entire quarter to get like this beautiful furniture? It was nuts. And, And so already it's dropped. And so I think that again, it's just taking a look at how the world is shifting. And again, um, important for listeners to know it's not in your industry. It's really looking at what's going on all over the world because I often joke about when you borrow the DNA of another industry and bring it back to your own, you'll make a whole new genome. And so that's how we start to innovate as well is to realize that the shifts that are happening in an industry outside of ours are the ones that you want to bring back because then you're not mimicking, you're actually leading. Absolutely. So I think you've touched on two really important points when it comes to adapting to shifting markets that I want to emphasize and make sure our audience hears. First of all, a lot of times we think that we need to have this kind of 
um, marketing research uh, arm of the business, business intelligence, who are doing all of the work on figuring out how should we adapt. You've got your sales team, you've got every other team in the business who knows what's going on, both inside your business as well as what they're experiencing personally. And so everybody should be able to contribute to that conversation. Uh, and then second, a lot of times, as you said, people are just looking, you know, maybe it's that group of business intelligence and marketing or whoever it is. They're just looking at competitors and saying, what do we think they're going to do next? And can we do it a little faster? And really thinking about the personal experiences everybody is having, as well as looking outside just your small bubble. Those are two key factors when it comes to thinking about how to really effectively um, stay ahead and, and be the leader in adapting to a shifting market. I love looking at what other people are up to that don't do what I do. And that's, so it's, I spend more time participating in groups that don't sell what I sell because when I see what they're up to and I bring that back, that actually helps me to stay unique and gives me a competitive advantage. Whereas if I were just to watch what every other speaker in the world is doing now, it's, it's important to know what your competitors are up to. I'm not saying that you don't, you just don't study your competitors to innovate. You study them to just see how your whole industry is shifting. Definitely. And when it comes to um, identifying who are those outside um, industries, outside um, competitors, not competitors, but the outside parties that you should be looking at, do you have any advice, any tips on kind of how far afield people should go or how they should best decide what to look at first? Yeah, I look at it as like that classic bell curve. So find stuff that are like one standard deviation away. So I might go look at a, a training company that's outside of my industry, not in the place that I play. So that's like one standard deviation away from what I do. But then you could go three standard deviations and look at a museum and what a museum's doing in their own design, their own marketing materials, the, their, the way that they go to market, the way that they campaign, everything to um, what an architect firm is doing. Um, or aerospace, which is, you know, again, it's just looking far afield to say, oh, but if they're playing that way, how might that affect my consumers? Definitely. I love that, um, that example of just thinking through standard deviations. A lot of times you tell people, think about an industry different from yours, and they're thinking, should I go exact opposite? Or, you know, should I just go with the company that's literally on the same block as mine? And really thinking about um, the different factors, as you said, the ones that are most similar to you, but still uniquely different, you're going to get things that you could almost apply kind of as is, right? If, if you're doing training and there's somebody else that's maybe doing technical training, you might say, oh, I like their workbooks. I'm going to do similar workbooks. And that's still an innovation and that's wonderful. Um, the farther you get a field, the more you're going to have to do some translations to figure out how to, how to learn from and innovate and adapt what they're doing, but you might end up with more creative ideas that way. So both are kind of equally important, I think. I, I totally agree. And I think that sometimes just looking at the marketing materials of businesses that are three or four standard deviations away helps you to absolutely come back and up your own game. So I, I can look at a beauty product company, um, a real, you know, multi-billion dollar um, aerospace company and just look at the way they put their materials together, which is so different. One selling a beauty product and one selling engineering and technical services. And yet you'll get something about, okay, this is really crisp. This is really clear. This is super organized. This has beautiful images and you can even learn from their mistakes. And so again, bringing all of that back to your own sales materials, your own marketing materials and saying, I'm going to up my own game 
is really important to staying competitive. Absolutely. Well, um, I had a pre-call with you, which I very much enjoyed a couple of weeks ago as I was prepping for this interview. And as we were talking, I brought up the theme that we have in August, which is all about handling objections. And I, I'm kind of teasing this for our listeners that we'll be talking about that a lot in August, but I know you have some expertise there and I don't want to um, miss out on hearing from that. So how can our listeners use profitable conversations to improve the way they respond to objections? So this is one of my sweet spots. I get really passionate about this. I love talking about objections because I have a very different perspective about it. I think that an objection is an opening to close. And I just look at it so differently. A lot of people get very defensive. They get very um, stressed out when they feel like people are pushing back. And I do the opposite. I lean into it because I feel so strongly, Elizabeth, that if somebody is taking the time to object, it means that they are not done thinking about doing business with you. The person that's just like, no, the person that's like, never, the person that goes completely dark and like won't return, whatever. It's like, okay, let those people go. The person that's still engaged in conversation and just pushing back is actually interested in talking to you. And so one of the things that I think is really important is that when we lean into an objection and meet people where they're at with a connection and not a power play, we do much better in ensuring that we're going to close the deal. So a classic example is somebody will say, your prices are too high. Like we've all heard that, right? At one point or another. What we often will do is get defensive. We're like, our prices aren't too high. Or have you checked out the competitor? We're the same as them. It's like, no, 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 no. That's the absolutely wrong response. What you want to say is, let me explain the value behind our pricing or let me explain the thought process behind our pricing. Um, or even if they push you to say like, you really are one of the highest, you don't repeat those words. We are one of the highest, but you can just nod and say, we are. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you what you're getting for that. And that, that is a profitable conversation because instead of a power play, you're doing two things. And this is really important in sales. You want to connect and you want to educate. Those are your only two goals in an objection is to connect and educate. And so the minute that you say you're right, or I agree with you, or I concur, let me tell you why, or let me say more about that. You've just taken the wind out of their sails because they're expecting you to be combative and you're just not. Absolutely. I love that. Um, and I want to hone in on that word educate, because I think that's really important when it comes to sales. It's so important when you educate not to picture yourself as a lecturer because education doesn't happen by what you say, but by what prospects discover and hear for themselves. And so what can you do and what can you say? Because you have to say something that's going to help them discover that value. And sometimes you need to just explicitly say it, um, but sometimes you need to tell stories and sometimes you need to ask questions about their current situation and then they'll discover, oh, that's a value that I don't have right now. You can do that. Um, and so really educating people is all about enabling them to discover um, what you need them to discover. And it's important not to just focus on the, the what you say part, because that's, that's you know, your one side of the conversation. But you really have to think about the goal of education is changing somebody else's mind, changing what they know. And you've got to focus on them, not just yourself. I think you've hit something that's really important, and that is in this concept of discovery, everybody likes one of their own good ideas. 
And so it's, it's, you know, it's not me saying you should do this, you should do this. But when, you know, you step up, you're like, oh, I think I should do this. And it's like, yes, you're going to fall in love with your own good idea. And so I think when you said it's discovery, and I think that one of the things that I really believe in sales is that if you want to own that conversation, if you want to make it a profitable conversation, you come in with two things and you just said them, questions and stories. And the stories are the relatable, you're not the hero. You make your customer and your client the hero of their own success so that your prospect can see themselves in that role. And then your questions are much more open-ended. And the three favorite words that I love to ask in a sales conversation are, how might we? And then you can fill in the blank. So, you know, how might we increase your sales by 12%? How might we get you furniture in the next six weeks? You know, how might we, how might we, how might we? But there's a real psychological play. It's open-ended. You're including them in the creation of a solution. And it's open to possibility with the word might. And the we says we're on the same page. That is such a powerful powerful, profitable question. I love that because I I pulled those same things out of it just as you were saying it, that you did. It's such a space of possibility, a space of literally just what is in front of us and how could we get there and where do you want to go? And all of that is there in the how might we. Um, That's uh, an excellent, um, just an excellent question that I think all of our listeners are probably, you know, trying to figure out how how they can ask more of those questions. I love them. And I can, I, I guarantee you, you will find more success with just, with just those three words. Definitely. And it's just inherently collaborative. Um, one thing that, that I strongly believe about sales, and I'm just seeing over and over in the industry that it's, it's just growing more and more important is if you are still in a space where a salesperson is essential. Um, and that's not everywhere now. There are so many more places where people are buying Um, And they're doing all the heavy lifting themselves. But so if you are still committed to the value of a salesperson, what that means is you should be a collaborative partner. And the value that you add as a salesperson needs to be apparent to that customer or they're going to think, why do I have to deal with a salesperson as a barrier to get what I need to buy? Um, And so being collaborative like that, um, helping people create things together, that's where you really contribute as a salesperson and where you add value. I think that when, and this is, this won't be new, but I think this will be a little bit of a, a, an added layer to it is that we often talk about being the trusted partner, the trusted advisor. And I think that your job goes back to what you said in that role, it's helping your prospect or your existing client, if you're upselling to discover more and more possibilities. And so One of my all-time favorite books, I won't take any credit for this, it's The Challenger Sale, when they really talk about educating your prospects so that they come back to you with eight magical words of, oh, I never thought of that before. And when when you're constantly reaching out in that sales role of, I am going to be your partner, I am going to be your advisor, I will be accessible to you, I will be supporting you, I want your success, obviously, to be my success. But then you're constantly in that discovery mode for your prospect with, well, let me tell you a story or let me share a piece of information so that they feel like they are smarter by talking to you frequently. Absolutely. And that's another way um, to call back to one of our earlier conversations. When you get that one time no, or when you hear an objection, or when there's some sort of interruption in your work with somebody, if they view you as somebody who helps 
them learn, helps them grow, helps them get ideas they didn't have before. That gives them incentive to continue the conversation to get to the point where maybe you're doing business again. And so it's incredibly important to have that role with your prospect just to make sure that you can, um, you can continue the conversation. Yes. And I'll, I'll do, I'm going to do a jujitsu here. That doesn't mean that you start sending cold leads articles. So I think what drives me crazy on LinkedIn is strangers will be like, Hey, Amy K, I thought you'd enjoy this article. And like, it's in with a link and Hey, Amy K, I thought you'd enjoy this. And it's like, Oh my gosh, you're so cheesy. Like we all see through this. This is not, this is not what we are talking about today on this podcast. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. It's all about knowing that prospect and knowing what's going to be useful to them and figuring out even honestly the format that makes sense to them. There are some people you could send an article to and they'd love it. And there are other people who are like, I don't like to read articles online. I don't like to read, you know, long form things like that. Could you pick up the phone and call me and tell me about this great thing in five minutes? And I would really appreciate that. And so knowing the person is so incredibly important. All right. Um, I I wanted to move on to something else. Um, As we think about adapting and changing, uh, a lot of that is about learning and growth. And so I'd love to hear what's something that you've learned in the last few years that has changed how you think about business? You know, it's interesting because when we come to sales, I think one of the things that we can easily get caught up in are the big wins the huge triumphant feats because that's what makes us feel like we're a part of the team or that we're reaching our goals and we're going to be rewarded for all this and we're going to win trips around the world and it's really easy to get caught up in that and lose sight of what it is that we're actually doing and that is to me my personal opinion is we're serving we are actually solving somebody's problem we're making their life just a little bit easier on this planet in some way shape or form and so one of the things that's been a big shift for me, and ironically in this shift, I've become more profitable, and I do mean that monetarily, is I look more for quiet success. And so rather than like the huge you know, seven-figure deal or the accolades of being listed as you know, top 40, under 40, um, or winning the big trip, I look at the clients that I'm serving and the wins that they're having. And how do I serve more? Like, how do I make other people more successful? How can I solve more problems? And that sort of shift in me for looking for quiet success has, again, it's led to a bigger company, a more profitable company serving more people. But I think it's a shift that all of us need to sort of think about as when we put our head down on the pillow at night, are we all stressed out because of all the things that aren't happening or that all the, you know, the classic sort of trite, are we shoving this? square peg into a round hole trying to get the deal done? Or are we grounded in a space of this is who I serve today? This is who I help today. This is how I'm going to make the world a better place tomorrow. I absolutely love that. Um, It's just so incredibly important. And I think, as you said, it's something that makes you happier about yourself and about the work that you're doing. The stereotype that exists that salespeople are pushy and sleazy and just always trying to get you to do something you don't want to do, um, it's up to each salesperson and each person who has any sort of sales responsibility and sales leaders and sales managers to say, no, that's not what we're about. We're all about finding people who have a problem we can solve. And even if you're selling a luxury item, 
there are people who have problems that those luxury items might solve. Um, you know, people most often are buying things to solve a problem, um, whether it's a, you know, a significant, um, easy to see problem. Like, uh, you know, if I, if I see that I have a flood and I buy something that's going to pump the water out, I mean, that's a really obvious uh, indication, but maybe I have a problem that I'm experiencing something um, emotionally, or I'm experiencing something socially, or I have goals about myself that I need to project something into the world. And if I can find something that's going to, um, that's going to help me solve that problem, it's going to help me achieve those goals. That's actually a benefit to me. And if there's a salesperson who can help me do that, that's a gift that they're giving me. That's a contribution. That's a way that they're serving me. And so really connecting to how do you help people? How do you contribute to them? Then you're a helper. You're a contributor. You're a servant. And I think we all want to view ourselves as helpers and contributors and people who, who solve problems for others. Yes. And I think that it, it sometimes too, like if somebody's, somebody's listening, like, well, I don't really solve problems. In other words, like, you know, I make tequila. Um, it's, it's like, okay, but you're, but then you're, then you're creating something where you are providing a solution to somebody's desire or to somebody's want. And so, you know, the person who wants the margarita, I mean, you could look at it as, okay, you're solving their problem. You're giving them the margarita, but you could just be that I'm adding joy. You know, I'm fulfilling somebody's desires or wants. And even that is an incredibly intrinsic rewarding thing to be doing if you know that you're bringing joy and happiness to somebody. And so it was interesting. I met a gentleman just last week at a dinner party and he said that he left the engineering company that he was working on because all they did was make um, weapons of like mass destruction. And he said he was, he couldn't sleep at night. He's like, and I know that my expertise to make these weapons is appreciated. He said, but what I'm doing right now is far more fulfilling. And what he's doing right now is he took all of his engineering um, in this weapons world, and he's now applying it to medical devices, and he's actually making people's lives easier. Same skill set, different outcome, but you could see, like when he talked about it, this was a personal shift for him. And it's not that we don't need people to keep us safe in the world. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when you start to find that inner peace on how you're going to define success, and I define it much more quietly these days, it just shifts the way that you play. And ironically, you become a happier, more peaceful, more content person who attracts people who want to do business with you. Absolutely. And as you said, there are some people who are able to see, because for them it's true, that when they are working on engineering weapons and engineering other things, they see how they're contributing to the world. And personally for them, it works. But it is all about where you are at the moment. And even, um, you know, it might be fulfilling for you at one time in your life. And then later on, you say, it's not fulfilling for me anymore. I need to find a way that I can feel personally fulfilled, personally, like I'm contributing to the world. And that will enable me, as you said, to really be a more compelling, more engaged, more content person. Amen. <laughs> All right. Um, now you touched on the challenger sale, which is an excellent book, highly recommended, but we know a lot of our listeners are avid readers. So what are your, some of your other favorite sales and business growth books? I have two more that I would add to that list. One, we're going to go back in time a little bit to Jaworski's synchronicity. And this is, this is an older book. You can still find it, but it's not going to be on the bookshelf, you know, at your local bookseller. You're going to have to go online and, and search it out. 
But synchronicity is really about believing that when you are aligned with what it is that you're doing, the world will sort of fall into place. And so I talk about this a lot in our sales trainings that when you're pushing, when you're forcing something, you're actually not going to get the deal that's magical. And so it's the idea of ensuring that, hey, you're going to do everything you can in your power to have a profitable conversation, but you're also going to remain detached from the outcome. Again, the no doesn't have any meaning. It doesn't mean that you stop when you hear no. It's just that it's the idea of letting there be another influencer and another force to ensure that it's all going to fall into place. Wonderful. I'll have to check that one out. I hadn't heard of it. It's a great read. It's a quick read, but it kind of shifts in your whole. So for instance, I'll, I'll tell you that one of the biggest deals that we closed several years ago was the idea that this person had gone dark. And of course you go to that desperate place. I was like, no, 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 this has nothing to do with you. This is meaningless. You're going to go about your business. And then sure enough, about a week later, this guy reaches out and it's like, oh my gosh, we were having such a successful quarter. We got sidelined, but now we're back and we actually want to do a bigger deal. And, and so it's, it's like realizing that when it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And so now it's the ironic that sometimes I'll be talking on the phone with a prospect and I'll literally say that, Hey, if this is meant to be, it's meant to be. And they're like, are are you telling me I can't work with you? And I'm like, no, I'm just telling you it's going to happen if it's meant to happen. And it's so weird how, when you pull that pressure away, people get more excited and more drawn to you because they realize, Oh, this really is an invitation to work with you. Definitely. Another, I think, maybe overused analogy, but it's just like dating. Desperation is not attractive. <laughs> and so if you're, a person, you're like that desperate person, just, I don't want to be single anymore. Um, I don't want to you know, have an empty pipeline anymore. Prospects are going to get a little weird, <laughs> a little leery of you there. <laughs> That is so true. And then I have, so I'm not exaggerating. There are probably 250, maybe 300 books staring me in the face right now. It's just, I'm such an avid reader and and an avid learner and I love it. So there's a lot I could choose. And just one that's sort of top of mind right now is uh, Jen Sincero's You Are a Badass. And I love that book for just, you know, building your confidence and your confidence to go out and realize that you are an absolutely phenomenal person. And if people want to do business with you, great, but you're going to go out with confidence and a smile and tell the world that you're ready to, to show up and, you know, as I say, kick ass and take names. Definitely. I think calling back to when we were talking earlier about that negative self-talk, maybe the, um, the self-limiting beliefs or imposter syndrome, if you're struggling with any of that, if you feel like you're having a lot of internal negative conversations, that sounds like a great book that's going to help you to really change your mindset and approach things in a more, um, more positive way. All right. Here at CFS, we talk a lot about sales playbooks, and we are always looking for useful tips that sales managers, CEOs, and salespeople can share in their playbooks. Do you have any um, actionable tips that our listeners might consider adding to their own playbooks? I would go back and I would say definitely put in that you're going to have two questions in every conversation. So I, I feel like it's your imperative responsibility to show up in sales to any conversation with an existing client or a prospect and have two questions in your back pocket. One, obviously the, how might we, that we talked about earlier, just really creating space for possibility, getting them on the same page, getting them to co-create the future with you and really feeling aligned in that conversation. So anything that needs to happen in that conversation, no matter where you are 
in the sequence of events or your sales cycle, starting with the how might we, and then having one subset question that digs a little deeper, drives the conversation uh, forward a little bit faster. And then I always like to have the third question, which is what I call the mini must win. And the mini must win is that at some point in a conversation, and it is manipulative, I'm going to be really direct, it's, it's, an, and it's a transparent, manipulative tool where you want your prospect or your client to say yes to one of your questions somewhere in that conversation. So it could be, do you think that we have a solution, Elizabeth? Do you see value in this conversation? Do, do you see how our product service widget waffle, you know, could make X happen, but it is getting them to say yes. And that's a mini must win. So for instance, if I just said to you today, Oh, you know, Elizabeth, have you enjoyed this conversation? I absolutely have. (laughs) Okay. So that's your version of yes, right? That's that, that version of yes, I have. And what that does psychologically in the brain is that makes you feel like it's your own good idea that you are enjoying this or that you see this as a solution versus me constantly telling you, or as you so beautifully said at the top of this podcast, people don't want to be lectured to. They want to discover. And so when you say that yes of your own accord, you are far more likely to get excited about moving toward a closed deal than if I just keep peppering you with information. Absolutely. It is so important to to get people to feel, as you said earlier, um, it needs to be their idea. And it, it might seem a little manipulative in one way, but if you um, if you're selling a complex solution, if you're selling something like an ongoing training program, or you're selling you know a, a software solution, the person that you are selling to is going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting within their organization to get this project to move forward, and so they do actually need to have a connection to an idea. They need to have a connection to it. They need to feel like it's theirs because it is theirs. And so if you help them discover it sooner, they're going to be that internal champion that you need that's going to actually push things across the finish line as opposed to you having to constantly be reselling and reselling and reselling and reselling to all the different people. Yes. And they will become your internal champion. They really will. Absolutely. I'm hearing a lot in just everything you've said today. You very quickly touched on your background in cognitive science. Um, And I can see how that really comes out. There's a lot of just very intentional words, very intentional concepts that I think our listeners can apply um, based on all the, the great things that you've learned. Well, thank you for how I love what I do. I am so passionate about it. I so believe in it because I know that it works. So I am happy to share it with your listeners. All right. Um, If you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Super easy. AmyK.com. So four letters, A-M-Y-K.com. So keeping it easy. And we have all kinds of free resources and tools as a great way to just get a feel for how I play and how I work. Uh, I have to definitely confirm that. I I downloaded some of those resources in preparation for the call today. And um, there's a lot of great stuff that you guys can get for free. And hopefully you're interested in um, starting a conversation with Amy K of your very own. All right. Well, thank you so, so much for being here, Amy Kay. Um, really appreciated, by the way. I'll just say this in passing. Um, I, I love to have more women, uh, powerful, strong, intelligent women as guests. Um, as a woman host, I'm interviewing a lot of men. So if any of our listeners have other strong, powerful, intelligent women like Amy Kay to recommend, 
you know, send those along. Um, but thank you to all of our listeners as well for listening to today's show. You can find listeners can find the notes for the show and resources for everything that we've been talking about at criteria for success.com slash pod one seven three. Tune in next week for a very special episode with Stacy Brown Randall, and we will be talking then about handling objections. In the meantime, check out this Friday's inspirational episode where Ariana will be sharing a great quote that is sure to inspire you. And as a reminder, if you have any feedback for us or topics or questions that you'd like to address or those uh, excellent recommendations for people I should interview, you can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. If you're enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you find your podcasts. While you're there, if you leave us a rating or a review, that'll help us learn more about where we can improve and what's working and what you enjoy. Remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!